and they like are kind of like okay but we like what you do but like we don't want any boobs on it or any like mushrooms or anything like trippy and i'm like well why are you hiring me like, yeah exactly <laughs> like you're looking through my portfolio you're gonna get what you're gonna get and i'm not rude about it at all but like don't waste my time and don't waste your own time kind of thing yeah. right welcome to shadow work podcast I'm your host and my name is Matt. I started this podcast for two reasons. One, because I think we need a counter narrative to the one being fed to us by society about what it's like to live as an artist. We're constantly told that artists live poor, lonely, miserable lives. And that narrative has kept me from pursuing my dreams for a huge chunk of my life. Which is why now I want to do whatever I can to change that narrative. To give us back faith that what we're doing as artists is really just following our soul's true calling. And that doing what makes us happy is not spoiled, but actually will allow us to bring inspiration and joy to other people. My second reason for doing this podcast is to create a community. A lot of us don't have a group of artists around us that we can reach out to for support and encouragement when we're struggling, or even just someone who can say, you know what, I've been there too, when we're in a rut or just blocked in any kind of way. So by having open and honest conversations with artists about what it's really like, about the ups and the downs, I hope to bring this sense of community to artists or creatives who really need to hear these conversations. I'll be asking the people I interview how they've overcome their blocks, how they've raised their self-worth, and how they manage to stay sane and productive in their creative lives. So if you know anyone who might benefit from hearing these conversations, please share it with them. And if you feel like it, give us a five-star review. It really helps other people find the podcast. I hope you enjoy this episode. Where does the Lurk name come from? Yeah, the name actually... It came from, I worked in a skate shop in the town that I'm living in right now. And uh, we had a lot of sort of like homeless people and street people that would come through and try to steal from us or try to trade shit with us. And my friend would just call them lurkers. Ah, right. So then I just started like <laughs> in my paintings, I was painting these like weird people and creatures anyway. So I, would, I just started like making them say little speech bubbles that said lurk. Okay. And it just seemed to like really stick, you know, like people like kind of liked that whole, like they were saying lurk. So I was just yeah. like, well, I'm just going to change my, cause I used to sign everything just with my name. Yeah. And I thought, well, you know what, I'll change my name to lurk. And, um, and then later down the line, you know, it's easier to brand something when it's, it actually has a name, like just some, a simple name and not your own name. Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of, that's kind of where it came from. I mean, unfortunately now, lots of people have kind of caught onto that being a good word to use because there's so many different versions of lurk from all these different companies all over the world not that they copied me i think you know these things can just start of like develop and yeah. exist by themselves, it just you know? pops up like different places like at the same time i think sometimes totally yeah. i get i get messages from people all the time on instagram saying like hey look these guys are ripping you off and i'm like dude i don't own the word like, <laughs> yeah <laughs> like right. i don't that's not how that works. I'm not going to pay a bunch of lawyers so that I can trademark that word. It's, that'd be a lot of money. Yeah, yeah. And probably a lot of hassle, too. And I mean, yeah. we don't have time for hassle, right? We got to make art, right? So Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so tell me a little bit like about your background and how you got started. Um, well, I mean, like as a kid, like, like a lot of kids draw and paint, right? Like parents tend to buy their kids... Uh, 
you know, sketchbooks and pens and stuff like that. Or like you remember as a kid, I'm not sure how old you are, but I was a kid, there was a lot of those like coloring books that are like, they've kind of become popular again now where it's just a black line yeah. where you color them in. So I was like into that, but I also like my mom was an artist. She took it as like a minor at college kind of thing. Um, okay. she, she was a hairdresser, but she also took some art and she was a good, she's a good artist still to this day. Okay. Um, cool. But so she kind of inspired me a little bit. I'd look through her sketchbooks and stuff like that. And then um, later on, you know, in school, I wasn't really good at anything else. Like I was a typical <laughs> artist kid. I was kind of a loner and there was no other artist kids in my school. I got like the worst fucking grade to go through with because like I was the most stand out alone kid that I could have possibly been, which is good. And like as you get to an adult, because then you're like, it's good to like trailblaze and be your own person yeah but as we all know high school can be viciously cruel but uh oh, yeah. but uh yeah so i i mean i was a kid that was into heavy metal and skateboarding in the north of england and <laughs> that just like really wasn't a thing that anybody else in my grade was like like the people i went through school with none of them really appreciated what i was into okay so i i mean i didn't really get bullied or anything per se but i just didn't really hang out with people that I liked. I just hung out with people because I had to. Because yeah. otherwise I would have had nobody to hang out with. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> I just wasn't really... Lonely. So yeah, I wasn't really good at school. I mean, I wasn't really good at that social game back then. You know, I'm really social now and I can, you know, I'm fine. Yeah, you seem like so camera. outgoing and... Yeah, you can learn that later. Yeah, I think, I think like through school, I just, I hated being there because I just there was nothing for me to be there for, you know what I mean? So I didn't actually yeah. end up um, passing high school. The only thing I passed was art. I got an A plus in art. <laughs> Ooh, that's great. That's but, all you uh, need. <laughs> everything else I failed or got like a C maybe or a D. So I did have to go to college for two years after that and do what we would call uh, upgrades where you kind of have to like finish high school and college. Yeah. And then... After that, I honestly didn't, I honestly just got by with that as well. I'm just not a traditional sort of um, learner, I guess. I do yeah. apparently have some form of dyslexia as well, but I don't, it's never been confirmed by a doctor, just some teachers told me. Okay. Um, but anyway, so once I did my upgrading to get enough grades to get into actual real college, I did uh, art and design and graphic design for two years or three years. And then I did fine art for one year. So I've got a lot of training. And then I did a tattoo okay. apprenticeship for two years as well. So all in all, I've got quite a lot of training. Yeah. And how do you, how do you feel like that training, did, a, did it affect you in a good way or a bad way? I've always, like, I've never had any official training in art. So I'm completely, like, self-taught. And I don't know, like, what's <laughs> what's better if you can say that. But Sometimes I wish, you know, I had had the time in school to develop a style and all of that that I've had to do like afterwards. But Right. So my take on that is like I'm a kind of traditionalist, right? When I did my tattoo apprenticeship, I trained in a traditional tattoo apprenticeship. I had to make needles for everybody, help them with their ink, setting up machines, cleaning the whole studio. I was basically treated like a piece of shit for two years. Like, like a Cinderella kind of situation, yeah. it sounds like. So I see art the same as well. I mean, I had very traditional art training in some ways. And in some ways, it wasn't also enough. Like, we weren't ever shown how to, like, stretch our own canvases or make our own pigments and stuff like that. I would have mm -hmm. preferred that. But I think that had kind of gone by the wayside for the most part. 
Um, I was doing school and going through England in the 90s. So it was a lot of conceptual art. I mean, oh, honestly, yeah. <laughs> in, fine, in the fine art world, everybody was trying to be the next big Damien Hurst or whoever was doing some weird video installations. There was a lot of video stuff oh, going on. Oh, yeah, so yeah, yeah. In my class, that would just have old, like, VHS recorders just, like, recording the floor. And that's what <laughs> Oh, that's a classic. That's perfect. <laughs> oh, that was never me because I was obviously yeah. more visual artist. But in all of that, though, I did do a lot of life drawing and I did study a lot of drawing. Um, I do believe that those things are super important and only because when a lot of people approach me and they ask, how did I get where I got or how do I draw or paint the way I'm doing it? Because mm -hmm. they are frustrated because they feel completely frustrated because they can't seem to come up with anything. Yeah. I'll ask them, well, do you have any traditional training? And they're like, no, I'm just figuring it out myself. And I'm like, well, you can figure it out yourself. 100%. You totally can, mm -hmm. but it's going to be more frustrating and it's going to take longer because you're going to come along to roadblocks where you just don't know how to solve problems. You haven't had like a curriculum that kind of like teaches you how to solve issues with your art or problems in art and stuff like that. I mean, I do believe that if you have a really good foundation, your house will not fall down. Yeah. And so I think, I think that's important, you know, but I also do believe that there's people out there that 100% are amazing artists and have just figured it out themselves. I mean, I still figure stuff out, you know, I'm still asking peers and stuff like that, how to do certain techniques. So yeah. there is part of it. I just really believe in good foundation. I was also like, I also did martial arts for a while and skateboarding and stuff like that. Well, with, like with both those things with skateboarding, you don't learn how to do a 360 flip down a set of stairs. You learn to ollie first, you learn how to push first. You learn, how, you know what I mean? Like, I, I mean, I think I gave myself an education in a way, or my dad was kind of an artist, like he was, a welder but an artist on the side and then um, it's awesome yeah <laughs> well yeah um awesome but also he was a drunk so i don't know you know but <laughs> <laughs> well, we've all been around those two yeah exactly right but anyways he so he taught me like how to do oil paintings when i was 12 and ah. uh, yeah and and but he was like he liked surrealism and he was into that type of deadly kind of um thing so also like you know a super perfectionist and and later I sort of took myself through this phase where I would trace a lot and just get into like trying to draw like real life and anatomy and stuff like that. And I'm wondering if, it, if it's necessary to get to that place where you're free with your work and you can just draw like from imagination, you know what I mean? I mean, everybody's journey is so different, right? Yeah. I think it's really good that earlier on you were experimenting with different paints and stuff like that because I was doing the exact same thing. The structure that you get from school, they're having a tutor that sits down and is like, this is why you do contour line. This is what Rembrandt lighting is. This is what this is like making you oh, yeah. not only making you draw stuff, but making you study paintings as well from all eras and why the, the artists did it and what it inspired. I think it's what they call visual language, right? So it's like yeah. this whole visual language. Again, you can get there by yourself. And in lots of ways, I did get there by myself. Like I was like, same as you, I was painting. I used to actually make... Um, board games a lot when I was a kid I'd like make Dungeons and Dragons kind of board games I'd paint little uh, Warhammer figures like Games Workshop figures uh, to like do D&D &D with and stuff like that and that's how I learned how to paint originally uh, yeah. was, was painting little like miniature figures that's how I learned how to like actually um, be precise with a paintbrush and stuff like that yeah that's cool but, uh, 
I think it, it's it's such a it's such a hard thing, right? Because like I do honestly still believe that, like like I said, you can you can get going where you need to go, but if you're calling me up and not you, but like you know if somebody's calling me up and they're frustrated and they don't understand why they can't get anywhere, I tell them it's because they don't have a good foundation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And to go and practice life art and go to practice other things. Stop trying to draw your characters. One of the things that like happened for me was it was very frustrating trying to like create my own style and force it. But the more I stepped away from trying to create my own style and just try to like draw what I saw in nature or just mess around drawing lines and like mindlessness, because it's not just being able to draw life stuff. It's being able to be mindless with a pencil and just draw circles over and over and over and over until there's no paper left. It's like the physical aspect of being able to run a pencil and or a paintbrush that's huge. I mean, you've got to work at that, just like you've got to work at it with a tattoo machine. You've got to make sure that you're not having shaky lines and stuff. But what I was going to say, the, the biggest change, honestly, and I've told people this before, the biggest change for me was when I started my tattoo apprenticeship because I was doing kind of abstract painting in a lot of yeah. ways, like kind of like cubism, but they were a little bit like characters. Mm-hmm. Well, when I started tattooing, you can't, especially when I started tattooing, you couldn't do that back then. There was none of this like cool, like hip, trendy tattoo art where like an artist just starts tattooed and they get to do their own style for the rest of their lives. Yeah. Back then you had to tattoo anything that came through the door. Yeah. So I was doing like realistic eagles, tribal armbands. I was learning to draw like so many different things in two years that yeah. honestly... I feel that my tattoo apprenticeship taught me more about art than any of my art schooling. That is so interesting. I mean, and I guess that's that's one of, yeah, like a, a thing that really pushed you forward then, I guess. But I want to just pivot back to you. Did you know that you wanted to be an artist? Because I think that's so, so ballsy to just like know that. It's so scary. It's like a scary profession, right? It's the I mean, only thing I've. It's the only thing I've ever wanted to be. Yeah. I even like even when I go into. I mean, I started skateboarding in 1988. So by the time the 90s rolled down, I was pretty good at skateboarding. I remember sometimes I would get like free products a little bit here and there, but I very much was aware that I was never going to turn professional. I was mm-hmm. just nowhere near as good as some of the other kids in the city. So like. Art was always my main focus. I just, I've never wanted to be anything else. And it's actually, to be fair, taken a long time before I can like, now I can just be at home doing art. Like my tattoo studio is up and running and I have like six people working for me, but I can just be at home doing art. And that took a long time. Like I think some people as well that I speak to, they expect it too fast. Like they think, Mm. oh, I'm going to get really good at art. And then all of a sudden I'm going to be able to quit my job. And I've seen people try to do that. And then they've had to like, go back to work and and it's like yeah because this isn't guaranteed money if i didn't have the tattoo studio i wouldn't be able to sit at home yeah yeah and i think you know it's so dangerous to put so much pressure on that creativity you know and also kind of locking yourself in a style that's what i see a lot of people do they jump too early and yes you know and then they get stuck in the style that they think they can sell and that people want and then they yeah. they stop themselves from like really seeing like what else they could do, you know. So yeah, it's so important yeah, to have that money and that foundation and that fuck you fund or whatever you want to call it. 
Yeah, and and like honestly, I'm so appreciative of my staff that like tattoo in my studio because they do allow me to stay here in some ways. I mean, I make my own money too from tattoo, and I go in two days a week sometimes, mm-hmm. and I have obviously money coming in from lurk stuff. So it's not like I'm just sitting at home getting rich off of people. No, no. <laughs> but it does. It is nice, and I remember like speaking to somebody like some sort of finance dude or whatever, and he was like, "You've got to have as many streams of income as possible." Yeah. And that's like a really safe way to live. Even if they like, even if it's like you're a painter, you work at like a bar in the nighttime, but you also sell secondhand clothes on eBay. That's actually really smart because then you've got always got money coming in from different angles. If one gets slow, the other one might pick up, right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Well, that's awesome. And I, well, that's really smart. I mean, I've, I've been working, you know, for so many years doing graphic design, doing illustration, doing like. It kind of like you with the tattoo apprenticeship, I guess, like doing whatever I could get my hands on to make money, but also just not saying no to anything. That's a great, Uh, that's a great attitude. Yeah. Yeah, it was. And now, you know, then I kind of hit a wall and I was like, I just don't want to draw what other people tell me to draw anymore. I'm just, yeah, I couldn't like (laughs) physically. And and that is totally fair. It's actually got to that point. Well, with the lurk stuff, it's always been kind of like that for me in some ways. I always kind of just wanted to do my own thing. And it probably goes back to like what I was saying, my childhood, where I just wanted to do my own thing. I was a bit mm-hmm. of a loner, like a lot of artists are, right? Yeah. I never really took everything. I mean, I've done design work. I've worked for skateboard companies as an art director and done different graphics for them and stuff like that. And it has been fun, to be fair. But I always prefer to do my own thing. But interestingly, now I'm doing that with tattooing. Like, I'm pretty much only tattoo and what i want to tattoo now yeah which is like after like i think it's been 17 years of tattoo and i think like that's okay you know what i mean that's like, totally fine yeah. <laughs> yeah i think i've earned that so <laughs> yeah yeah exactly well, you gotta pay the dues i think I, I think that's really how it works you know i mean definitely yeah. i've had to do that yeah yeah and, yeah and like honestly i turn i turn jobs down because people might contact me for illustration work Mm-hmm. And they like are kind of like okay, but we like what you do, but like we don't want any boobs on it or any like mushrooms or anything like trippy. And I'm like, well, why are you hiring me? Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like you're looking through my portfolio, you're gonna get what you're gonna get, and I'm not rude about it at all. But like, don't waste my time and don't waste your own time, kind of thing, yeah. right? Yeah, exactly. I've just I've just started doing that and like telling people. Like if you if you hire me, you're hiring me as an artist, and I'm gonna do my thing, and you can you you can use it for your brand. But I'm not an illustrator as such anymore, you know. But that that shift has been like weird for me, and I've been like stuck in a lot of situations with clients wanting to like correct me, and me being like, no, you can't touch my work. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think so, like I think I probably miss out on a, a lot of job opportunities and like you probably do too because of yeah. how you want to do it and like sometimes that's fine I mean if you're starving in the streets then you might want to do like the donut logo for a shop somewhere yeah. but like the weird thing that I'm finding right now is um, I mean I'm really busy with commissions I do a lot of paintings more than more than anything I do a lot of paintings for people I've been doing lots of designs in the weed industry which has been like kind of up and down for me like sometimes I've been ripped off recently which sucked um it happens right it sucks but like it does yeah but one of the things i'm finding that's very interesting do you use um linkedin a little bit i have like a very dusty old profile (laughs) yeah same so recently i kind of like took the dust off of it it's funny we've got some interesting parallels with each other Mm -hmm. but yeah i took the dust off my linkedin uh, my linkedin profile recently and uh 
I looked in some of the job postings for artists and illustrators and all that sort of stuff. And what I found extremely interesting and probably not surprising is uh, it was all video game industry. Video oh, okay. game, freelance artists, 3D artists, motion artists, VFX artists. Like, so, like, honestly, like 90% of the jobs for artists out there right now are in the video game industry. So if you're listening to this podcast and you're going through school right now and you're not sure which, you know, which way you want to go, uh, I would totally get into making video game art or like 3D characters, learn how to model, learn how to do all of those sort of things that will uh, pertain to video games, because it seems like that's where the actual money is, especially with everything going into virtual reality and all that sort of stuff. I, I'm, I'm feeling my age a little bit because I don't know how to do any of that stuff. I mean, I'm good on a yeah. computer. I can use Illustrator and Photoshop, no problem. But when you start getting into the 3D stuff and having to animate all that, I have no idea how to use like ZBrush or any of those sort of programs, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, technology is. <laughs> I just I know how to draw, right? And that's and I can do like a little GIF animation. <laughs> yes, that's same. It. same. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think like I think like back in the day, we would have been more like what we do. You could have probably got hired on as a concept artist in those industries. Yeah. But even then, like I'm seeing a lot of the concept drawings I see are still kind of like 3D now. They're not they're not as 2D as a concept artist used to be able to do. You know, you used mm -hmm. to be able to be a concept artist for a movie and do like and storyboard a whole movie and get the like the feel for a movie. But I think more and more now people want to see things in 3D. Yeah. You know? Yeah. All right. So so what about like did you have any issues with sort of sabotaging yourself and like having self-doubt and stuff in your early days or still how is that for you um yeah from many different angles i guess i mean i think everybody does i think one of my major issues is i used to have a problem with alcohol um, mm. when i got sober about six years ago now my uh my artwork definitely got better as well yeah. <laughs> which is interesting yeah, <laughs> yeah. So self-sabotage just in the fact of like bad choices in relationships, oh, uh, yeah. bad choices of like just wanting to party instead of like wanting to paint. A lot of the times I would sabotage in art shows even. I've like, I've gotten so drunk at art shows that I've like scared people out of my art shows. And like, it, it seems funny, maybe it's in hindsight because it's such a mm -hmm. typical artist thing to do. But I mean, as far as a longevity of career, it was definitely not the thing to do. Yeah. Uh, as far as like mentally, when I'm working on stuff, I, I don't anymore. I think I've got it pretty locked in these days. I, I yeah. feel like I, I feel like you could tell me you need something today and I would have a concept sketch within two days and it would I'd probably nail the first sketch. I don't mean that in a conceited way. It's just that I've been doing this so long now that I can like I did a I did a um, a t-shirt design for a band out of New Zealand a couple of days ago. And, uh, yeah, like I, I did one kind of sketch. As soon as I started sketching, I'm like, I'm not feeling this. So I, I changed directions. They chose the, the change direction sketch. That was a complete sketch. So I didn't have to do like 10 or 15 drawings before they chose it. Right. Cause I feel like the the client is already coming towards me wanting what I do. So for the yeah. most part, I should be able to nail that, you know? Yeah, definitely. I think also, you know, when you've put in the hours, the amount of hours in doing the craft that that we both have, it's you do get to a point where you where you're able to tell that that inner voice, like to just shut up. I mean, I'm, I need to get busy. So if you could just like get in the background and like, you know, yeah, with, totally. with that. Yeah. 
but um, and, I, and I go through slumps. I mean, like it doesn't happen very often, but I'm I haven't created too much in the last week, which like honestly for me that's weird. Yeah. But uh, but I've been doing other things. Like I've been getting my shop insurance together. I've been doing paperwork for different things. I, you know, like things around my house. I own my own home, so like. I've been doing things around my house. Like there's just little like adult things that will pop up, especially at this time of year, because everybody wants, you know, to get their bills for the year, like like insurance and all that sort of stuff. So um, I've uh, I've been doing things around the tattoo studio, paperwork, filing my yeah. taxes. It's just like oh, one of those the taxes, tweets. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. 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 But, but do you? I have a person that does it all for me. Oh yeah. But do you? Um... Do you draw every day usually, or how is your routine with that? Yeah, I'd say pretty much every day I will do some, I'll be working on some sort of artwork, maybe not a drawing, um, but uh, yeah, for sure. I, like I'm always working on artwork in one capacity, whether it's tattooing or whether it's working on the lurk stuff. Yeah, I mean, my only real day off right now is Sunday, so I normally work six days a week. Mm-hmm. Um and if, say, like my wife goes out of town, I would work on the Sunday too. So I don't, I have no problem working seven oh, days a week. You sound but like me. <laughs> I will get burnt out though. And then she'll say, look, you're complaining about being overwhelmed. It's because you don't take breaks. So yeah. she's really good at like grounding me. Like she's like honestly one of the best partners I could ask for. She's a really good, like almost like totally in love with each other, but like business partner as well. Like she's, she's really good at like calling me out and being like, Hey, you need to rest and take some breaks or like, you know what I mean? I don't really yeah. get grumpy, but I just get like burnt out. Yeah. I yeah. totally know the feeling. Yeah. Um, but the, the funny thing is that I, I have a lot of, uh, you know, artists, friends and who never really get around to creating. I don't really know because for me, it's like, I have to, in a way, if I don't do it, I, well, I feel like I'm not really a person if I'm not productive. I, it's like, who am I if I'm not creating stuff, you know? That- yeah, I don't understand that as well. It's actually interesting that you said that because that's another question that I, I do get a lot on mm-hmm. Instagram is like, hey, I'm in this like slump. I haven't painted anything for like a year, but I really like doing artwork. Like, can you give me any tips? And I'm like, I, I can't. I, yeah. I don't know. I, I don't know what that feels like because like, I'm like, I'm very much like you. I'm just like every day I have to like make something or at least be creative. And that could yeah. be like cooking a fancy meal even, yeah, but like, definitely. but I've got to like, I've got to do like something creative because I live and breathe this. This is what I do. You yeah. Know? And I think that shines through your work so much, you know, and Thank you. It, and, and and I guess that's also just being a professional, right? And having that discipline in a way. I mean, what I hear a lot of people saying, like also writers and stuff, is just to get up in the morning, have a routine, sit down, do the work, take a walk, get back to work. You know, like actually yeah. seeing it as a kind of work. It's the same as like going to the gym and exercising, right? Like, you you sometimes wake up in the morning you don't want to fucking do that but then when you get there you're normally fine yeah and if you can just do it every day or like every other day in general it gets easier yeah and you'll feel better about yourself whether that's like it doesn't have to be lifting weights but it could be like going on your bicycle or going for a walk or like whatever it is you've got to like you got to keep moving and that's i feel like that's actually a big component in a lot of stuff as well like a lot of people ask me like you know, like staying motivated. I'll say like, I, I prefer like exercises works really good for me. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I'm not like, you know, the fittest guy in the world, but like just getting my body moving. I like to be in water. So I'll go to the pool in the morning. I don't really swim. I just stay in the shallow end and move around and just get my body moving and stuff. And I think that's like a huge component as well. I, I feel like a lot of the artists I meet, um, I mean, this is going to sound harsh, but you're European, so you, you, get, you get harsh. A lot of them are like overweight, sit on the couch, eat really unhealthy, and are depressed. And that's why they can't really get themselves motivated. But if you go and speak to like a doctor or anybody in therapy, one of the first couple of things they're going to talk to you about is getting exercise and eating better. Yeah, yeah. It's That's just a universal law. And it's very, very hard to like motivate yourself. But that motivation of getting out of your house and just like looking after your body a little bit more, if it's possible for you, is like it's so huge and it helps out your artwork because then your mental and physical body feels better. So you feel like creating more and you feel like being a bit more social, maybe or like whatever it might be. Like, I definitely think that's actually a huge component to creativity. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think the whole kind of self-care um, thing is is super important. That kind of just go for a walk, even go get a hot chocolate or like yeah. something nice for yourself instead of just totally. sitting and, and sort of, yeah, being mean to yourself, like basically. And I've had to learn that a lot. I used to sort of sit down and tell myself, now I just have to draw and I have to finish it. And I wasn't really having any fun with it. And it was right. just, yeah. I still did it because I still had this like need to do something and I still felt like I have to be productive. I can't. But when I started out, I didn't, I had a, like a, a graphic designer job and then I would just go home and draw in the weekends and at night. And it was just like kind of for myself. I had a, my stuff in the little gallery, but I don't know why I was, but I was really ambitious about those drawings and, and they were so hard work because it was like dotting Oh, yeah. Uh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. But I, th I think I was trying to impress somebody, <laughs> really, you know, like at how many dots I could make on a page, you know. Um, but that was like part of my journey. And that that kind of ended when I started I started doing street art and painting in the street with a friend um, just, you know, for fun and with, with no sketch and just almost channeling, just standing in front of the wall and. Yeah, and not having a, a fucking plan. It was kind of really liberating for me. And I think yeah, that's yeah, been my... It's very nice. Have you have you ever seen any of, like... Did you ever look back into, like, any of uh, my past photographs? Because I've got, like, lots of different styles that I've worked on over the years that have oh, yeah. led me to the style I do now. Yeah. But I, I did, like... I did stuff very similar to what you're saying. I When I was actually in fine art school, I was definitely exploring different things to do that were a little bit more free and maybe, like what you're saying. And I did this one style for a while where I would take a big sheet of wood or canvas and I would spray bomb the background and then I would grab a pencil or a marker or whatever could make a mark and I would just start doing um, writing on it, like in cursive handwriting that was pretty much illegible. Mm -hmm. And it would just be like that, um, what's it called, that like con like that flow in consciousness writing or whatever kind of what it's called right now, there's a term for it. But uh I would just do that over and over and over. So a lot of it, didn't, it probably made no sense. I'm certainly no, I'm certainly not good at English. So, <laughs> so a lot of it wouldn't make any sense. And then I would flip the canvas and I'd start writing that way in a different color. Then I'd flip the canvas and I'd start writing that way in a different color. And I'd keep going and keep going. And all of a sudden you've got this like almost like Jackson Pollock looking abstract piece. Yeah. And the only bit you would ever be able to read would be the final letters 
like the final layer, sorry, of writing. Mm -hmm. So that was like a thing I did a lot. Like I did, I did stuff like that a lot. Or if you go back in my uh, history, like not even that long ago, like three years ago, sometimes I'll actually just grab spray cans and markers and I'll do like really loose, kind of like you can tell the alert characters, but I'll do really loose, really fast. Like I'm on about like five feet canvases by three feet and they take me like 30 minutes, like a really, oh, really I love fast that. Move. Yeah. And so much energy. And I think I've done that style since maybe 1998 or something like that. I've always like yeah. kind of honed it. And why I've always kept a hold of that style is because I'm extremely aware that when I'm 70, I'll still be able to do that. But I probably won't be able to do detailed, small gouache characters on a small piece of paper. Mm. So, But I probably will be able to move my body with a spray can or whatever it will be and still express myself, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and don't you find that there's something, something changes when you're doing, like, large-scale work? Mm -hmm. I mean, because it is kind of like you get your whole body into it. Yeah, and it's like uh, when I'm doing illustration and small lurk paintings, there's a specific message. It might not be a deep message, but there's a like a specific message and symbolism to the character. But when I'm doing something big and expressive like that, it's just, I'm just moving. I'm just, I'm putting things where they need to be. Like I was reading the cubism. Like that's what I studied the most through all my schooling. Mm -hmm. So I definitely have a background in cubism in, the, in a sense. So I, I kind of put that into like the graffiti style as well. And like, I just like, yeah, I like to make marks like almost like a Basquiat or something like that. Like just some sort of like fun motion that's got emotion, you know? Yeah, 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 definitely. I had this. I had this situation recently. I bought some like fancy ass paper. It was a uh, hundred by seventy centimeters, and you know, oh, wow. just big. Yeah, and expensive. You know, and I. It took me like I think six months, and then it was only because I had swapped something with a with a friend of mine, and she was like, "Okay, so where's my painting? I've been waiting." <laughs> and so I was like, <laughs> "Okay, fuck, I have to do it," and uh, and I was gonna do something, you know, annoying, and I and I didn't want to do it and, until I finally was like, "Okay, just have some fun, just draw some fucking lines, and like, don't care so much, you know." But I really have to talk yes, myself into relaxing and having fun. <laughs> <laughs> how, did, how did you mount the paper to actually work on it? You put it on a wooden board? I just put it on my kitchen table. Oh, whoa. <laughs> it just, just fit, like... <laughs> yeah, and then I just painted on it. It's so thick that it doesn't really um, bend much, even though it gets water on it, so... Oh, it's like a 180-pound or 200-pound paper. It was it? 400 grams, like really heavy gouache paper, oh, so... Wow. Yeah, yeah that's, so delicious, that's but thick. also, like, you know... <laughs> It was like almost cardboard. So maybe we should talk about Instagram a little bit. Like yeah, when, to. yeah, when did you get on and what's been your experience? And I guess you found like a lot of community through there, right? Or yeah. So Instagram was, a. it's, I've got a, like a bit of a love hate with it. Like anybody, mm, I think I have, yeah. a bit, I have a bit of an addiction to it that I need to address that I've been trying to, uh, I've been kind of keeping my eye on my screen time with Instagram and trying to like lower it every day. Mm -hmm. It normally gets high because I do a lot of live feeds. So I, so sometimes it'll it adds two hours right there because you're doing a live feed. But anyway, yeah. um, I think I got on there. I think the first post, if you go all the way back would be 2011. I think it's like, Oh, a, that's when Instagram started. I think. Yeah, I got, I think I got on there pretty much right away, but 
I was never like as much as I worked on computers, I was pretty late to the whole smartphone thing. I had like a flip phone for a while. I didn't know or read enough about it in articles to think that that was the way to go. And I kind of wished that I'd really got in on that first wave of Instagram and uh, become like an influencer or had like the um, verification mark really early on or something like that. Because I feel that there's like still artists on there that got so many followers that even if the algorithms are fucked, that it still allows them to be seen by a lot of people. I mean, if you have over a hundred thousand followers, that's still a lot of people, regardless of the algorithm, that's still a lot of people seeing your work. Whereas I think anything in my range where I think I'm at like 32,000 right now, which is a lot of people, Mm -hmm. honestly, I think about maybe four or 500 people see my work out of that 32,000. Yeah. It's insane. It's really crazy now. The app is completely broken. Yeah. It's a hundred percent broken. And it's set up for um, scams. Basically, it's set up for like I get contacts all the time. Somebody contacted me the other day said, "Hey, we'll post your work and give you a shout out for seventy five dollars a month." I'm like, oh, <laughs> "Fuck yourself, man!" Like, yeah, yeah. Like you're an online magazine. I just got paid by a magazine to exactly. be a magazine. Yeah, like, yeah. And like, what the fuck, dude, get out of here. Yeah. But. Uh, one thing that really concerns me with Instagram is I feel that the algorithm is built to sort of keep people posting the same stuff over and over again. And I I see a lot of people being very stale in that and not wanting to sort of explore and change styles a little bit and you know, right. just do different stuff. And I think, you know, I really think that's kind of systemic in Instagram. And I think it's so bad for artists. I mean, I I find I do that myself personally. I think like sometimes when I look, there's two different ways of looking at this. Like I have friends that are like really quite knowledgeable in selling art or like in business, I guess, saying that my Instagram should look more uniformed even. They're saying like, oh, everything should be like the same color and like same images. And then some people are like, no, just post whatever. Like I listen to a, a lot to a guy called Gary V and he, he does a lot of like motivational speaking for businesses and stuff like that. And his whole thing is like, you can't post enough, like just post more than you need to, because if it's not getting out there to everybody, the more you post, the more chance that somebody's going to see it. Right. Yeah. Uh, so I, I do a bit of both sometimes. Like sometimes I go through my Instagram, I'm like, Oh, this looks like too, like I'm schizophrenic or something. There's fucking different <laughs> different images from different things. And then I'll have a picture of me and my wife and then a picture of a dog and then some images. I, I, I just, I just don't know what people want. As far as um, response goes, it seems to, seems to be that the people respond to my artwork the most when I yeah. ask them something about themselves. So every year, sometimes twice a year, I'll do a little social experiment on Instagram. Mm-hmm. And all I do is I just, put a post up in my story or in my uh, feed and it just says, tell me where you're from. That's all it says. And then I'll say in the, I'll say in the caption, Hey, I just love to know where like the people that follow me are from and my fans and stuff like that. Just like leave a little note, tell me where you're from. And the interesting thing is when you make it about people, I've had up to like, I think the most got up to 920 comments. Oh yeah. Okay. That's, that's but, crazy. I'll post a painting and it will get 20 comments Mm -hmm. because it's not about them. Me posting a painting is not about them. No. 
So people like to feel like they're being seen. So I don't know in my art how I can make it more about them. You know what I mean? Like lots of times I'll be yeah. like, hey, like what sound do you think this creature would make? Or like mm -hmm. what name do you think it should have? And I'll get a few more comments from something like that. Mm -hmm. Engagement is, is hard. I used to think about it a lot now. Yeah, but I but I realize now that I've started to be much more honest about everything, and I think people can really resonate with that, you know. Yeah. And, um, yeah, and I think that's kind of a general thing happening on Instagram, on social media. I think it's really great that people start to be more like just who they actually are instead of this like painted image of somebody who just ha is perfect, right? I think. Yeah, and, and I've got to be like I've got to be aware of that as well because like my mo is to try to be as positive as possible always. But I might not be feeling positive that week. I might have had anxiety or something might have happened personally. But I've I've always kind of like I'm I'm almost doing the opposite of you in that sense that like I don't post lots of pictures of my kid or my wife because like I like my private life to be private almost. You know, obviously, yeah. I don't and I don't really post lots of feelings about things either <laughs> and i don't think it's wrong that anybody does that it's just maybe not the way i'm the only thing i ever really want to come across as is my genuine self which is like for the most part as a human on the planet i'm pretty positive like i i feel like there's a pretty positive outlook to life in general is what i'm trying to do and i'm trying to like purvey that out there not only to like to make people believe that I'm positive, but like to like hopefully make them believe in themselves a little bit and be like, yeah, you know what? I feel positive. And I kind of picked that up from um, my friend, Chris D-O-G-T. I'm not sure if you follow him, mm, but he like, sure yeah, he, uh, he just, he started this thing called defenders of good times. Okay. And, and they, um, and their whole mission statement was just like, any artist can be part of defenders of good times. You just have to tag them in it, but uh, just be positive and just like have a blast and know that life is great. And you know what I mean? And like, I yeah. just, I think like, cause life isn't always great. Shitty things will happen. Exactly. hundred percent. But if you kind of try to put yourself in more of a positive mind frame, then if shit, something shitty does happen, you'll handle it better, like much better, you know? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I have a lot of, you know, anxiety and then mm -hmm. some days I'm sad or I'm in a rut and I can't seem sure. to motivate myself and stuff, you know, and I I think that's why I came up with the, with those rules um, because I, I tried to look into like, how do people do this? Like, how do they do they function in the world? Like, what what kind of tools can I implement to to sort of not go fucking crazy in here, you right. know? Um, <laughs> So I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, like any kind of things you do to keep you sane, like we're talking about exercising and also well, yeah. obvious. I mean, that's, that's again what I'm going to say. I mean, you've got if you've got any sort of anxiety and depression, other than being medicated, one of the things straight away, again, the same thing a doctor's going to tell you is get outside, socialize, get outside, exercise, yeah. eat better. Um, it's there's so much more research and knowledge being done on mental health these days. And you can, I, I will never ever say that like, Oh, just, you know, think better and that will make you feel better. Cause that's not the case. It's, it's a, it's a whole thing that you have to do. Just like it's a whole thing you have to do. If you want to become a better artist, yeah. if you want to feel better, it's a whole thing you have to do. You can't just go for a jog and then, Oh, well actually my whole day is great now, you know, but you've got to add 
all these things into your lifestyle that are positive. If you're if you're doing and thinking negative things in your lifestyle consistently, you'll find that yeah, like I, I feel that you you will sort of like lean more towards those things. And I, I'm I'm only I'm actually speaking from experience. I had crippling anxiety for probably four years, five years, especially after I got sober. Because one of the things that happens when you get sober is you have to kind of like face the music. Because like before you would just drink to take care of things. Well, now if like something's happened to you or you've done something that you don't feel good about, well, now you have to deal with it because you're sober, right? So you get a lot of anxiety. Mm -hmm. Um, But I had like, yeah, like it felt like my stomach was completely turning all the time. And I was trying to do all the right things. One of the main things, the extra component that was missing from my life was I started microdosing mushrooms. Oh, okay. Interesting. And when I started microdosing mushrooms, and I'm not suggesting this to anybody, do your own research, <laughs> right? I can't suggest people taking psilocybin mushrooms, but I would say that took about two months and my anxiety was completely gone. Yeah. And hasn't really come back. Yeah. Not in the same way. I, I've had some anxiety surrounding situations, for sure. Like situations that have come in my life, I've had some anxiety. Because that's just normal human behavior. But I'm on about, like, I would think of a glass of water and my stomach would turn. I would think about, like, my car and my stomach would turn. Like, I would just get random anxiety about things that just you no person should ever be anxious about. Um, yeah. I, started doing, I started doing the microdose of the mushrooms. And my life completely changed. It's really interesting. It really is. I mean, I've been looking into micro. I, I microdosed a little bit of LSD. And I don't know. I don't think I did it long enough, but it was fine, you know, but nothing really like intense happened. But um, I would definitely get yeah. into the mushroom. Also because they're more natural, right? So I always think that nature has like the better answers probably than chemistry, right? So... Well, from what I've read, and I'm just going to like break this down to the simplest, I'm sure you've read the same things. The LSD can definitely help, but it's more like a chemical mask in your brain, whereas the mushrooms actually repair your brain. So it's a little bit different. So if you, again, like I'm fucking no neuroscientist here, but (laughs) like in like the simplest form of what I read, they were talking about how like when you think about something, You have all these like electric signals that fire through your brain, through your synapses. Now, if you've had any trauma or you're upset about something, it creates like scar tissue in there. And what the mushrooms do is they help repair that scar tissue or they help build new pathways so that not every single thought you're having goes through this negative pathway. It's like a subconscious negative pathway that your thoughts go through. Mm -hmm. The mushrooms help rebuild or or make a new pathway so you have the opportunity to make better and healthier choices mentally. That's so, it's genius. And I think the only way to to really change like those patterns of thinking is getting down to the subconscious, right? And mm-hmm. really repro- reprogramming it with whatever like with whatever you got kind of. I think the uh, first the first night that I took them, I sat on the couch and just sat around thinking about all the things that might have pissed me off in the past that have caused me some sort of PTSD. I had a bad relationship with a lady that also had um, substance abuse issues. Mm-hmm. And uh, I thought about that relationship and how it really affected me. 
And I thought about like why I have a chip on my shoulder. I thought about all these things that could be negatively affect me while the mushrooms were in my system. So it's almost like I did my own internal therapy. Yeah. And uh, then every time after that, I would do that just a little bit. And then I would just kind of enjoy the moment. Mm-hmm. And then I got less and less and less and less. And I feel that it helped so much. Like, honestly, I can't, like, I think my artwork even got better. It's so interesting because when we're talking about like this with coming out of an addiction and and really starting to feel your feelings and like you have nowhere to turn. I mean, uh, right now I'm in Italy at a residency and I don't have access to drugs, right? So I'm like, sure. I'm sober and um, and it's hard, you know, but it's also kind of really liberating and interesting when you just turn around towards that emotion that's been chasing you around all day and just be like, okay, so come on, let's do it, you know, and just let it like flow through you, you know, with whatever. Yeah. And I think, yeah. And I think then you can also like make braver choices with your art. And I definitely think that just not being so fucking scared of that is, is really helpful, you know, just to, I think, I think that my whole outlook changed really. I mean, I've always done work on myself. I've always gone in for some sort of therapy or counseling. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, it, it worked for me and it helped, but I feel with the mushrooms, like it did something that the counseling couldn't do, or maybe like, I wasn't allowing the counseling because they, they tell you a lot about like mindfulness exercises where you, you got to sit and meditate and any bad thought that you have come in, you accept it, but you let it go. And like, I had a hard time with that just because like a lot of people, I have a very creative, highly over-functioning brain. Mm-hmm. So I would just think about too many things, like not even negative things. I would just, I just could never seem to quiet my mind. Like and my, my wife's a yoga teacher or she, she was, she's not doing it right now, but she taught yoga for quite a while and we would go to yoga together and I had the same thing. I just couldn't like, I'd almost feel aggressive in yoga because I was like, it was just too many thoughts were going through my mind when everybody had to be quiet in the class and stuff. I fucking couldn't do it. Whereas like with the mushrooms, like I, I listened to those voices and I accepted them more with compassion and like mm-hmm. kind of felt like, okay, that, that's okay to think this thing and you got to let that go. And this person maybe didn't mean to do this or like they have their own problems. Like you just have, I think I've heard people say this about as well. Like when they start microdosing mushrooms, they just had an overwhelming sense of empathy for people. Yeah. For themselves and for other people. So if like some person like had stabbed you in the past and you maybe you didn't even know that person, you might think you might be like, I fucking hate that guy. If I ever see that guy, I'm going to beat the shit out of him. But you can change the way you're thinking to be more like, man, what happened to that guy that he's out on the streets, like stabbing people? Like what happened to him? Empathy, right? Like it's having empathy for people and taking your ego out of the situation yeah. and thinking, Hey man, like maybe that guy needs help. Like, yeah, you know, he's exactly. out. I mean, that's just an example. Don't worry. I haven't been stabbed mm. by anybody. <laughs> I'm, good. I'm glad to hear that. But I, it's funny because I had this thing happen to me on Instagram, actually, where somebody was, was posting some nasty comment on my picture. Like, and it was something, ah, oh, that's just some feminist bullshit. I hate you. Right. And, and my initial reaction was like taking a screenshot and like tagging this person and just making a story like, oh, how brave you are sitting behind your, your fake profile and posting this. And then right after I'd done that, I kind of went into that person's head and thought like, oh, fuck, this person is so sad that they need to 
sit yeah. and like distribute hate. And I, I actually felt like so much empathy towards that person, you know? So, yeah. <laughs> and that, I mean, it's a better place to be because you can't change somebody's opinion about what you're doing. Like if he thinks you're doing feminist bullshit or she thinks you're doing feminist bullshit or mm. whatever, yeah. then they're allowed to have their opinion. I don't think they should be going around putting it on people's pages but just as much as you're allowed to have your opinion, they're allowed to have their opinion too. It's when it's when it's like aggressive and pointed towards somebody, you know, I think that's really strange. And the other part of that is you, you did the right thing and to think about how, because there's a guy that he kind of does janitor work outside of our tattoo studio. He sweeps up and he just does like really easy jobs. Mm-hmm. And for the, week, the longest time, I thought he was kind of weird. And then I, I found out because my friend started working with him that he has function in autism and I, I wonder sometimes like because this guy will just blurt out the most racist things I've ever heard a person say it's insane yeah but like you I can't be like hey man like you can't like you can't say that we will say that to him sometimes but it's not really registering with him so now put that into this like just because you see somebody's profile and it looks like they're living like a pretty good life they could be fully functioning with some sort of mental disease totally, or issue yeah. Yeah. or infliction that makes them go onto the internet and be like fucking cocksucker i hate everybody but like exactly yeah but they, because they don't know any boundaries socially right yeah so like i do sometimes think there's a little bit of that as well like you, you're just dealing with crazy people sometimes and like you can't change them and getting mad back at them's it's just not your job no you know and it's I mean? just a waste of energy right i mean yeah 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 really, if, that- if, if you're if your beliefs Say you're a strong feminist woman and your beliefs are as strong as they are, you shouldn't be phased by any comment. Exactly. You know? Yeah. You're, you're yeah. given power to something that doesn't need to be given power to, you know? Yeah, exactly. And also, like, that that annoying thing that the brain does with, like, you have a thousand positive people and positive comments and you just... Sure you choose to focus on that little negative one that just like snuck in there. Right. Right. But again, I think like if you spoke to somebody like in counseling or therapy, they'd say that's more about you than it is about them. Like it says, it says more about yourself than it does about them. Right. Like it's all in how we, not you, but how we handle things. Like if I get it sometimes too, like I had something recently and this is so rude. And I think the guy might be a little bit off you know, in the head kind of thing. Uh-huh. But uh, I did a music video for a guy a while ago and it was just an okay project. The guy lowballed us a little bit and, you know, we weren't we weren't overly stoked on it, me and my friend that worked on it, but we were stoked that me and my friend had worked together because we like working together and we got to do a music video, so that's awesome. It just recently reached over a million views, which is quite a lot. That is and, awesome. Uh, anyway, I, I just posted saying like, you know, I'm really stoked because I, I try, again, I try to do positive posts. I'm, Hey, I'm really, really stoked. Uh, you know, this video got a million views. And this person who's kind of commented a bit back and forth here and there said, oh, well, that's really nice because the guy you did the music video for owes me a bunch of money and he owes a bunch of money around town to all these people. Like, I mean, I'm glad that your video is doing well, but where's my money? That's got nothing to do with me. So at first I felt angry for sure. Like at first I wanted to be like, you know what? Fuck you, man. Like why don't you go fuck yourself? Right. Yeah. yeah. And then I was like, I'm just going to message him and be like, Hey dude, I appreciate what you're saying. Um, I'd appreciate it if you actually didn't leave negative comments 
on something that I'm trying to post telling people that it's like this accolade and I've done really well in my life with this project. I'd just really appreciate it if you didn't put negative comments in there. And at first he got back and he said like, oh, you're just an asshole. Just like him. I'm like, hey, I'm not being an asshole. You're being an asshole. And there's just no need for this. If, you th- if this guy owes you money, that's really unfortunate for you. Yeah. But your, your issue is with the music artist, not the two artists that made the video. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I think like just trying to stay calm and trying mm-hmm. to like, because, you know, when somebody's coming like that, like maybe this guy does owe this person money. I don't know. Right. I don't know their situation. Yeah. It's not a situation that I want to be involved in. And I just think, yeah, negative comments are part of life. They really are. Also, when we're talking about posting stuff on Instagram, I really try as much as I can to just do my work, put it out there, move on, right? And not like... But it's like people get like offended by something you've posted, so they feel like they have to say something, right? Yeah, I think so, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's an interesting thing, because I think this happens from all angles. Like, um, I really like the comedian um, Ricky Gervais, the guy from England. And he, he said recently in something, he said, like, you know, just because you're offended doesn't mean you're right. That's quite correct. No, no matter whether you like the guy's angle of his comedy, it's true because it actually rings true to what you're doing. Just because you post somebody and somebody's offended by it, it doesn't mean that they're right to be offended. They can have their opinion, but it doesn't mean it's right. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, definitely. So, and just keep it to yourself. If you, I mean... I was told, like, I was always taught as a kid, if you don't have something nice to say, don't say anything at all. And, like, I grew up in a pretty rough area of northern England, Mm -hmm. and I learned pretty quick, oh, yeah, you want to have a fucking opinion about something? Well, now you're getting into a street fight. Yeah, yeah. That's how it used to be. So then you learn to be like, oh, maybe I shouldn't say this, or maybe I should think about what I'm saying. But when you're behind Instagram, it's not like you can go to this guy's house and be like, yo, like why yeah. did you say that like what is your issue man do you need a hug like what's yeah, up yeah i think and i think you know that's the thing that people do need a hug and i mean because if you feel so small in yourself and in your life that you need to sit and like post negative comments on other people's stuff it is just because you are sad or jealous or whatever you know whatever yeah. the motivation is for people but i really let it go after that after that one guy and Good, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm like, <laughs> it's fine. Just bring it on. <laughs> bring it on, yeah. yeah, I, yeah. I, like I said, I'm, I'm pretty lucky, honestly. I I mean, who knows? People are going to listen to this podcast now and be like, yeah, we're going to go. Yeah, we're going to. But I honestly don't really, I don't get any ever. No, that's great. That's really good. I, I, I don't know whether it's sometimes to do with the fact that I'm a guy, you know? Yeah, maybe, yeah. And it's definitely um, an equality and the fact that you're, you know, you're a woman and you, you know, you're posting what you post. I think there's, there's, there's guys out there, especially right now that are just trolling to find anything that might seem feminist to them. Mm-hmm. And they don't understand that, like, you know, you can be a feminist and you can be completely masculine still. I think they feel that it like, it like hurts their ego or their masculine ego if they feel like they support women like what are you talking about man that makes you is your mother not a woman like come on exactly yeah yeah like you're right we just got to try to help people a bit more you know yeah definitely and it's a beautiful way to think by the way i think so too you know (laughs) um how did you get out of your um, out of your shell that you that you were in when you were a kid i think skateboarding helped a lot i think 
I was hanging out like when I was 16, I was hanging out with some people that like were going down a pretty bad path. Like I think maybe a couple of them ended up in jail and stuff like that. And, and I didn't want to be doing that anymore. And I kind of rediscovered skateboard and I'd kind of taken a break for a while and I rediscovered. And then being in the skateboard community, I mean like skateboarders are like little shits, right? They're kind of shit disturbers sometimes, but for the most mm-hmm. part, like they're pretty positive and they're out doing like, for want of a better word, a sport, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But like also just that hanging out with each other, there's like weird things, like weird little psychological things to come out of your shell. Like I think I was a pretty like unattractive child in some ways. And then maybe you get some attention from some girls and obviously like, oh, it gives you a little skip in your step. Right. Mm-hmm. It makes you feel a little bit more confident and stuff like that. There's just moments that go through life. I think just growing up where you just start to feel a little bit more confident, you know, and you maybe you get knocked back a little bit and then you feel confident again. And. And not just in relationships, I mean, in life in general, like you maybe you get a job somewhere and the person that you're working with helps you feel a bit more confident. I worked in a bar. I think that really helped. The way to come out of your shell sometimes, like some kids come out of their shell really early on. Yeah. They, end up, they normally end up being theater kids. And some, some kids don't even have a shell. It's like, yeah, yeah it's, it's crazy. My it's daughter, really crazy. <laughs> my daughter's super quiet. Like yeah. she, she fights in judo because we did judo together. So she fights in judo. She, she travels lots of times by herself, goes to these competitions and wins some, lose some, whatever. She can do all of that. But if you came in the house and tried to talk to her, you'd probably get a few words out of her. Yeah. It's so strange. But later on, as she grows up and has more experience, I think she'll come out of the shell. And I think that's kind of what I'm getting at is like, it's just about experience. Every relationship, every breakup, every person you've met, every fist you've fought, every like everything, it's just becomes, every job you've done, it's sometimes it's just about experience. And sometimes I'm, I can be quiet as well, but it's normally because I'm being reflective and I'm trying to like concentrate on a project or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think my mom was really good at like, I remember one moment really stands out really big to me. I was like 15 and I think I opened up like my, my first bank account. You know how that's like such a big thing when you're a kid. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I had like, I had like 10 pounds in there or something. And, uh, so I opened this first bank account and the lady was trying to help me and she kept asking questions while she was opening up the bank account. And I kept being a typical teenager and just being like, yeah, uh-huh okay and just didn't want to talk to her right i was yeah. just shy or whatever and my mom she was old school so she grabbed me by my hoodie or whatever the fuck i was wearing my jacket and she dragged me backwards outside slapped me around the head and said don't ever talk to a person like that again she doesn't get paid enough for you not to pay attention to her mm. and i was like oh okay yeah <laughs> So like I kind, of figured, I kind of figured that out. I was kind of like, yeah, like you just talk to people, right? You got, you got to try at least. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Just Sometimes you have to be pushed, right? A little bit. I mean, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I think and so time. too. And just time as well. I mean, like they're discovering more and more as well is like, apparently, especially as males, we don't finish developing cognitively until we're 25. Yeah. So really, when you put that into perspective, and this is another, like, I wouldn't say it's a mental health issue, but it's a mental issue in the sense that, like, you know, are we not expecting too much of these people sometimes? Yeah, definitely, yeah. Like, we expect them to get a fucking car and drive around in a car and, like, 
get jobs and go to university. <laughs> it's crazy. And not get somebody pregnant or get like an STD or not get, yeah. get fucking killed somewhere. Like, dude, like these people are like, we're like nutcases until we're around about 25. Like the person again that left the comment, that person could be 18 years old, you know? Yeah, you never know. And yeah. like, and just not fully there. <laughs> like, I did Definitely. crazy shit yeah. when I was 18. I should be dead. You know, like I did crazy I mean, stuff. Me too. Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I just got my shit together now and I'm 39. So, you know. Right. So we're, we're pretty similar in age. I'm 43. So yeah, you probably had some pretty old school parents too. Oh yeah. I mean, they were hippies, I guess. Oh, that's all. okay. That's, that's normally a bit better. I mean, mine were like more like working class factory pit sort of people, you know, in England. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, they were, I appreciate how they brought me up. It was definitely sterner sometimes, but I was yeah. always actually encouraged to be creative as well, though. So that was really yeah. nice, you know? Yeah, I mean, I think I had got a major block from that because my dad would he, would, he would draw like political cartoons for magazines and stuff. But then when they had me and my sister, yeah, uh, he kind of stopped that because he couldn't meet his deadlines and he was freaking out and he would always right. draw it like one hour before, like, you know, and while drinking and being all fucked up. And, um, it sounds and like I he think, had a lot of stresses. Yeah, I mean, he just, I think he was like very, very sensitive. I'm, I'm sensitive too. And I think he had it like in a, in a wild way and he didn't really have the tools at all to sort of know what to do about that and how to manage it. Yeah. And, uh, and so I think I connected the dots in my head. So it's like, okay, so if you're going to be an artist, then you're going to also be a drunk and you're going to end up dead you know, or like collecting bottles in the street. That's, that's kind of what I got from it. And later on, I've been able to sort of flip it around and say like, it's because he didn't do his art that he ended yes. up like that. Yeah. Yes. But For it sure. took me many, many years to realize that. So well, I was I, just terrified most of the time. <laughs> well, yeah. And I think as you become an adult, you, you, again, you get that empathy and you start to realize like, I'm, I'm pretty estranged to my dad. Like I'll speak to him maybe once every five or six years. He was never really a good parent. He left when I was 15 and I probably, to be fair, resented him right up to this day. But then I also feel like, well, why did he leave? Like, I feel that he was the sort of person that maybe like, just never wanted to be a dad really, but like kind of fell into it and, yeah. you know, and didn't know how to do it basically. Yeah. And that's tough too. I mean, yeah, I haven't, I haven't had the guts to become a parent because I just, I'm like, no, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> See, and I've done the, I've done the opposite thing because I've just never, like my mom was a, a good parent. I wouldn't say a great parent, but she was a good parent for sure. Yeah. But, um, she did what she could do. She had two boys. My brother was a bit of a bit more haywire than I am. Oh. And, um, so I think she's good, but with my daughter, I just always wanted to do the best I could. Like when I, when I split up with her mom, my ex-wife, I never like left. I always, I always stayed close to where they lived. I always took care of my daughter. We, I got an apartment so we could both like live together half of the time. I didn't do the whole, like, oh, you know, I'll just have this person for two months in summer. And it all helps with art, right? <laughs> all, those, <laughs> all those things, all those experiences, those pains, those traumas, oh, everything you go through, all helps with art. That, and that's the thing that I've realized, that all of my crazy years and all of that shit that I've been through, it just, yeah, it all makes sense, you know, because I just yeah. needed all of those experiences to be like exactly where I am right now. So, 
Well, can you imagine if you didn't have all those experiences, what sort of artist you'd be? You'd be like long blonde hair, wearing a bikini, doing a painting of the Joker from the Joker movie perfectly. Oh, our society, the culture, you know, I think it's, it is changing. It will change. I hope so. I mean, the more people I, yeah. getting out there and being like the real selves and just also showing the ugly Sunday fucking, it's hard. I don't, I can't do it either. You know, like, Oh, I gotta have a little filter, but <laughs> it's honestly, it's so hard. And I think like, I think everybody gets affected by it. Like, and, and my wife's like said this before as well. And how interesting is that? Like, for instance, I posted a video this morning of me doing some um, live drawing last night. And I almost didn't post it because I was like, oh, I look kind of fat in that video. Mm. And I've been trying to like lose weight recently. So it made me feel a little bit down because I'm getting into my mid 40s. And, you know, you get into that era where, you, oh, you might have a heart attack, not because I want a six pack, but just because I want to stay around in my family's life for as long as possible. So I want to be healthier. But I almost didn't post it because I was like, oh, I look kind of fat in that video. Mm. And that's interesting because like, I think sometimes People think that men don't get affected by that. But every time I see a picture of an underwear model with a six pack, that totally affects me. Yeah. We do need to change that because why can't I just be comfortable in my body? Yeah. Like I won't watch that video now. I've posted it and I won't watch it. Ah. Uh, Isn't that weird? It is weird, but it's cool that you posted it. I mean, I think that's what sure. we have to do. We have to do the stuff that's scary too, you know, like you're right. You're absolutely right. And that's why I did do it as well. And, uh, I just think next time I'll wear a black t-shirt instead of a white one. It hides things better. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Always wear black. <laughs> I was getting a little too confident in that white t-shirt. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah, yeah. You can't pull off white t-shirts. I don't know. <laughs> oh, yeah, I've got to get this. I've got to get the six pack, right? That's right. Yeah. Oh, fuck. But it's strange because it, do, it does affect everybody, right? The um, body dysmorphia, like thinking that you look a certain way, sound a certain way. Yeah, it's and I mean, hard, all that energy, you know, that goes into that instead of, I used to make these, these coffee cups and ceramic cups that said like, riots, not diets, right? Because I feel like one of the things that's happening in this culture is that we try to put so much emphasis on the way we look. And right. so, and objectifying ourselves even. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And, and we need to spend that energy on like fixing shit that's really wrong in the world, like important shit, right? Instead of being like, mm -hmm. oh, I had, I had another muffin, I'm fat, you know, fuck that. It doesn't matter. Like, oh, yeah, like, yeah, sure. It would be nice if I had a six pack because I would have probably taken my t shirt off last night and just shown everybody. <laughs> Yeah, you should still feel? just do that. Just own that. <laughs> yeah, what is that? And, and that's a crazy question right there. What does that feel like as a male, especially like I've never had a six pack. I've always been in shape, but I've never had like that six pack. You know, when you mm -hmm. like eat zero sugars for all of your life and oh. no carbohydrates and you're yeah. just ripped. Like, I have no idea what that feels like to be able to be confident enough in a room for somebody to be like, oh, hey, I want to see your chest tattoo. And I'll be like, yeah, sure. Check it <laughs> out. I have no yeah. idea what that feels like. No. Maybe it does feel great. I don't know. Our generation, too, has had it, like, really bad. And the ones yeah, well, we were told, I was too, told right? not to cry. I was told to be strong. Yeah. I was told to fight if somebody bullied me. I was told all of these things that can really like edge you into toxic masculinity, really. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Instead of just being like, just appreciating where I am. Luckily, I always had this duality where I just kind of like I had the artist side of me. So I think that kept me enough grounded to be like, no, these things aren't okay. Like that's yeah. not how it has to be. 
like you know so i was lucky that way but imagine growing in households where you don't have that and it's like that would be there's a reason there's a lot of fucked up people walking around it's not just the parents it is the advertising it's everything and i think going back to instagram is there anything else you wanted to ask me about art or anything like that (laughs) we 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 really got like around no i think no i love that about conversation that's how conversation should be it's perfect i think it's been so interesting talking to you and i just want to like thank you so much for for wanting to do this and uh, uh, where people can find you, your podcast, your Instagram and all of that. Sure. Yeah. Well, the, the podcast is called the Lurk Loves You podcast or LLY podcast. There's only, I think, 11 episodes and then we stopped making it because we ran out of time and the producer that was working with me, he just couldn't do it anymore. So we just yeah. didn't have enough time, unfortunately. My website is lurkarmy.com. I actually paid to get that, so that was kind of fun. My Instagram is lurkloveseyou, and it's true. I do. I love all you guys. Oh, that's great. That's perfect. Perfect ending. <laughs> thank you. And thank you so much for having me on, on this podcast. It's, it's great. I can't wait to hear it all edited and everything. Yeah, me too. <laughs> okay, so have a great day. Yeah, you too. And uh, shoot me a message on Instagram and we can follow up a little bit, okay? I definitely will. Okay, thank you. All right, thank you. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of Shadow Work Podcast. I really hope you found this episode helpful and please share it with anybody who might need to hear this. You can find the podcast if you search for Shadow Work Podcast on Instagram or Facebook. And feel free to get in touch with us with any questions. You can find all our contact information and also Lurk's information in the show notes. Thank you.